Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com. That's K-O hyphen fi.com forward slash alone or you can go to alone with invisible people.com forward slash support us to find out more thank you hi i'm rebecca gallardo the host of alone in a room with invisible people i am here today with author and teacher holly lyle and today's topic is help with revision uh this has been a much requested topic and we are going to kind of do it a help with revision with a focus on the flash fiction that we are going to be uh, receiving from you guys just kind of as the focus but all of these tips and things that Holly goes through fits revision in general like completely and utterly it doesn't matter the length of the work right but before we do that we are going to get into what we did this week and Holly I had a good week. It is nice to be able to say that. I am now three chapters into book two of the Ohio novel, of Ohio novel number two, so of the Ohio series. So um, I'm, and I am having fun with it. I was at one point laughing my ass off as, as these ideas came to me and I was writing them down under the page and they were working. It was um, a very good week and I'm looking forward to next week. With your with your book two so the process of book one was very much the how to write a novel process where it was very loose and this next novel because you're writing in a series are how much of the previous process are you bringing and how much of the plotting and octopus map and stuff this is uh the octopus map is done <laughs> there is um not done that, as in she's not doing it anymore but done as in she actually as, did one yeah as in yes i <clears throat> once i had the first novel finished and once i knew who my main players were and once i knew what my main conflicts were then i could build a series octopus map so i actually did that yesterday i was thinking i needed to do it a little sooner than that but as i got started into the story i got off on a wrong start so i've already thrown away one whole chapter um and started over from scratch and the the next thing gave me what i wanted as an intro and from there, I was able to build out the octopus map. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was a big deal. Um, the next thing I'm going to do, now that I have three solid chapters, it, and now that I have my main players in play, and I can see what they're doing, is I'm going to go ahead and outline the book next week. Uh, okay. That'll probably take me about two days. And then, so I will have fewer words to report uh, on the following week. But uh, because I will, outlining really doesn't add anything to your word count at all, but it really does help your sanity. Now, so, the outlining process that you're using, is it like note carding or? It's line for scene. Um, it is the sentence protagonist versus antagonist in, um, in a setting with a twist, the, the, the same packed thing 
uh, 30 words for a sentence, no more, and staying focused on moving the story forward, making sure I don't forget any of my characters. So it's a small, tight outline. Yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, anytime I start outlining in any detail, I kill my desire to write the book. Yeah, and then you end up changing it and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and that's no fun. Well, that's, that's, I mean, it's a good week that you, you not only got to chapter three, but you got an octopus mapped on and then you're going to start outlining. So yeah, that's really, yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. It was, <laughs> it was an awesome and fun week. It really was. It was so fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, well my week, so I sent the book to my bug hunters. Uh, I have five. There were originally just two. I, I'm trying to get this done as fast as possible and I did not have the ability to give people enough notice. So I just went with who I knew could could do it. And then as the next two days came out, I would I talked to this person or that person and I sent out the, the book. So I have five bug hunters and they are going through everything. I am currently going through Mastering Amazon Descriptions by Brian Meeks which was a suggestion by you, and it's about mm -hmm. writing the blurb, um, otherwise known as the copy. But most people, like most readers and some writers who aren't into the jargon, know it as like the back of the book or the blurb on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and I'm also working hard on the cover. So I made five versions of one cover. I made two versions of another cover, and both have to be scrapped. Uh, oh, I could no. go with either one. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> that that happens, and I'm used to it as as an artist. Is like, you these are concept covers at the time at the moment, but one was too vague and boring, and then the next gave shit away. But uh -huh. between the two, I have a concept in mind. I just have to find the right the right photos. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and on the writing, I have been kind of figuring out the next book. I, I need to focus really, really well on the cover and the blurb while I do not have my book so that when the book comes in, I have two weeks to try to get everything together so I need to have the blurb and the cover done because I have to do all of the edits I'm hoping that there's nothing huge yeah then I have to format the book then I have to put it all together then I have to put it up for sale and I have to put it up what a day or two early because Amazon yes yeah so yes. I was I was planning on getting it in on the 29th and hoping you know like Maybe maybe the twenty eighth. What is it? there's thirty days in September? In September. Yeah, so I need to get it up on the twenty eighth. <laughs> but I figure if I tell everybody this stuff that I'm going through right now, it's stuff that they they might be able to use, or if they've published plenty of times, maybe they can give me some tips. So yeah, yeah. Head to the forums if you have any tips from your experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into today's topic, which is revision. Okay, and I know we've covered this before, so I'm going to be very, very quick on this, but revision is not 
fixing spelling or typos. It is not tinkering with an unfinished story. And it's not changing sentence structures or paragraphs. That's Those are all editing things, and none of them should ever be done until you have finished the novel and done your revision. Have finished the novel, done the revision, and then you can go in and edit. Yeah. So what revision is, is a concept of looking at the book as a whole, once it's finished, of understanding that this is, this is a big concept (laughs) that that you want the entire thing to flow you want it to make perfect sense to the reader before you even worry about things like paragraphs or the right word or anything like that you want to make sure that you know your story you know your characters what happens to them is interesting what happens to them is meaningful to you and is going to be meaningful to the person who reads the story. Because if it matters, if the story you're telling matters, then you are going to grow a readership of people who care about the same stuff you care about. It's why we can't all be each other's readers, is because we all have different passions. We all have different loves. And revision is loving your book. That's so you know like I said this is this is a concept thing. Now there are some very very practical steps to doing it. But first you have to understand that you are loving your book or in this case your 500 word story. And the first thing you do in order to find that love is you look at your characters and you ask what are they doing and why are they doing it? And this is if you are writing a a single scene for like or a two scenes or three scenes for a very very short story you look at every scene if you are writing a 500,000 word novel <laughs> with 100 chapters and uh, 5,000 scenes you look at every single scene and you ask that same question what are my characters doing and why are they doing it biggest question in every single scene so, uh, like with with um, the Fulton Hills novel that I'm currently, you know, so close to getting published, um, I remember I had to go through each and every scene through because I used How to Revise Your Novel, um, and that it's not for some reason sometimes the wording can trip people up. It like what is that? What is every single scene about? Like you, you have to know the packs for every scene, and it can be very tedious when you have five thousand scenes. <laughs> when <laughs> when you have so many scenes to have to write these things out, but it really does clarify everything, and it makes every single scene important and stand out like if you have a scene and there's no conflict you're screwed if if you have a scene and there's no there's no like setting that's easier fix you know you just you're reading it and then you're like wait that they're basically in a black hole yes or, or a white room or or whatever it is that you imagine um it's an easier fix but if there's no conflict <laughs> you're you're gonna have to kind of dig through. So it's it what what she's saying. It might sound like a lot of work, and it is. 
especially the bigger the project you have. But if you're doing the Halloween story, it should be a lot easier because a lot of things, maybe they're one to three scenes, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, this is, this is one of the reasons why I built that course is because the most important, the single most important thing you can do is finish a project. The second single most important thing you can do is revise the project. And because you have to have it done before you revise it, but once you revise it, but but once you finished it, you got to revise it. Yeah. So the easiest way to do that is to learn by writing really, really short stories, 500 words, and learning how to do them well, and learning how to get the conflict into a scene that might only be 250 words, or 100 words, or 10 words. Mm-hmm. Because I've done some three, three, um, thinking hard here. I've done some three scene stories that had uh, scenes that were that short. I've done scenes that are 10 words. Yeah. Um, well, and, and that's, that's part of the, the beauty of the flash fiction course. Like, again, if, if you're going to submit to the Halloween story, take the free flash fiction course. There'll be a link in the show notes, but, um, the, the whole concept of this flash fiction course is from having taken it myself even after so many years of experience in writing and still having an impact I can tell you like if you are overwhelmed at the idea of revision of oh, revision revision <laughs> taking that course is very very helpful because you can see the breakdown and a, a simplification of the revision process. Right, right. That is included in the class. So, um, okay. So the next thing that you're going to look at after, um, what are my characters doing and why are they doing it? The next thing is you look at the place where they're doing it and you're asking yourself, how does this story, how does this particular setting make the story stronger? Um, and again, uh, this is a case of, it's very easy to not think about where the setting occurs because you're writing your characters, you're moving along, you roll from one scene into the next, and it just kind of happens without thinking about it, that they're just someplace. And the someplace is completely unrelated to whatever needs to happen next. And you, you can find yourself writing a complete, you know, white wallpaper background. Nothing, there's just nothing there except two talking heads. But you can also set them in a place that doesn't matter. If you set your characters in some place like a diner, um, then something essential to the characters, the conflict in the story actually has to happen in that diner. It can't just be there because you want to have them sitting and drinking coffee. It has to be there because someone is overhearing what they're doing and it's, it's someone who shouldn't know or because a car is going to come through the crashing through the front window and they're going to have to save somebody's life or one of them is going to be injured. It's, setting is what gives your story gives your reader a reason to keep hanging around and turning pages i think it's, all of it does doesn't it like oh, yeah. yes but but 
setting is the thing that's most overlooked. Setting is the thing that is just, just ignored, desperately, horribly ignored by so many writers so much of the time. Yeah, even, and here's something too, is, is imagine this chase scene. Imagine there is a chase scene and then put it in all of these different places and imagine how just the setting affects the chase scene. Like you, you set this chase scene in a city. Think about the conflicts you're going to run into with, with that city, depending on the day, the weather, whatever it is. Then take Mm -hmm. that chase scene and put it in a flea market. Then take that chase scene and put it in a suburban area. Then take that chase scene and put it in a rural area. The Mm -hmm. setting completely and utterly changes the effect of the scene, the the whole overall concept of the scene. So it's the same thing with when you're writing a short story think about the scenes because they there's less so they they're gonna have more of an impact right because your your story is so much smaller everything needs to be it's like the awareness is heightened of everything so everything that that you're working on needs to have been paid attention to exactly and exactly that's nicely said yeah, with, with Fulton Hills, like, the setting is obvious, like, oh, I, this overall setting. How, how is this setting important? Well, none of this would happen without the setting because it's got so many different details. It's the paranormal, it's it's the magic of the world, all of this stuff. But with Leaving Wanda Lucia, it's the same thing. You have to ask yourself, what does the setting have to do? Like, how does the setting affect the overall story? Because that was one of the things I struggled with when I was going through how to revise your novel and writing Leaving Wanda Lucia. I didn't understand why Wanda Lucia, which is the town, how does that make any difference? It's a romance novel, you know? And the more I dug into it, the more I realized, okay, well, Wanda Lucia is special for these reasons, you know? And yeah, there's a lot of small towns out there that might be special too, but, you know, the sheriff is the best friend of the diner or the restaurant owner and the, the guy who, the mechanic who fixes her car is the dad of the restaurant owner. And, like, all of these small details, and then the, the lady who helps people uh, find, you know, people who've gotten off track and stuff find their way back is his mom, you know? Or right. I, the mechanic was not his dad. He was his uncle. But the point is that all affected how the story progressed, how her, how she got through everything. Right. So it's, it's the same thing with everybody's stories is you have to figure out why your setting is unique on the big scale and then also the the scene by scene scale. Right. Setting, it's it's a case of limitation. Just as you limit your characters um, in a flash fiction, you're going to have maybe two. The setting is what sets the limits to, the, the, the setting is what sets the limits to what can happen. If you, it is, it is the defining characteristic 
of the scene is what can happen here. And mountaintop chase scene, completely different. You know, exactly what you said, completely different from a chase scene in a city. The next thing that you look at, okay, so you've looked at your characters, you've looked at your setting. Now, looking at the conflict, you ask, does this matter to me? Is it going to matter to the characters? Is it going to engage the reader? That's three definite, specific, separate questions. And the first one we want to look at is, does this matter to me? It's, I have read an awful lot of stories by people who really didn't give a shit about what they were writing. It was, it was, they were pushing for something that was on trend. Um, They were pushing for something that was commercial and they didn't like the genre. They were just doing it because they figured this was a quick way to make some bucks. If, if you are doing that, that is going to come through in the book and oh God did it. You have to give a shit. What you're telling, the story that you are writing has to matter to you. First, first, foremost, before anything else, you have to be your own first reader when you are revising. You have to look at this honestly and say, do I actually like this genre? Do I actually care about the conflict that I have presented about? Do I care about these people? Do I care at all about what happens to them? Would I want to be one of them? Would I want to be fighting against, would I, would I be afraid to fight against one of them? Am I in this? So then the next thing that you look at, okay, you say, oh yeah, I am all in this. I can see that I care about the story. I care about the conflict. This is the genre in which I want to write. I am doing the right thing at the right time for me. Okay, move on to the next step. Is this going to matter to the characters? Okay, do they care? You can have a character who shows up and all that character wants to do is screw up the story you're writing. Yeah, and, and change I it and yeah. Change it and turn it into something else because characters, uh, I don't know where in your brain they come from. And some of them are awesome and some of them are simply the wrong characters for the book, but you can't tell them that, so you have to kill them. Uh, <laughs> or remove them to another book or whatever. And you don't know until you're writing them whether these are the right characters. or not. Sometimes you don't know until you're in revision when all of a sudden you say, who is this jerk and what is he doing to my story? Um, and I have been in all of those places. I have had to ditch characters. <laughs> Becky, <laughs> Becky and I have had numerous conversations about shooting characters. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, she tends to want to shoot them. I just, I, I get frustrated, like, with the second Wanda Lucia book. I had this guy coming in trying to take over the the main character, the female, trying to to woo her and romance her and trying to take her away from, from Brock. It's Brock and Angie, and, like, he was trying to take the entire book and make it Angie and him. Right. And... If you, the, for the readers who read for me, Leaving Wanda Lucia, everybody wanted Brock and Angie's story. Everybody wanted part two. So imagine if I had just let this guy come in and 
he was completely different. And oh no, it's not Brock and Angie anymore. Brock lost his his chance with Angie. It's Brock, it's Angie and this rando. <laughs> yes, yeah. And like I said, this is this is a weird, weird part of your brain, and you you frequently don't even see it while it's happening. So this is one of those moments in revision where you look at this guy and you say, where the hell did you come from and what are you doing in my story? For me, it was the redhead um, in, in Closer to Chaos, which uh, became the wreck of heaven. Um, this FBI agent who showed up on the first page, hadn't planned for her, hadn't plotted her, but she was great. She was smart and and assertive and really really good looking and she was hitting it off with this one character and I was having fun writing her and so I just ran with it I just trusted that my muse knew what it was doing and we were going to be okay and the book died about 250 pages in when I realized that if I did not kill this woman remove her utterly from the book just strip her existence out completely I was going to lose the story and this was while I was on a deadline yeah so you definitely need to keep an eye on your characters and their motivations and do they give a shit about the things that you want to write about because if they give a shit about only themselves then you've got a problem oh my god and and you know you would think hey I am the person writing this book I've got this but at the point where your fingers start doing some of the writing for you where the story is just pouring out of your fingertips and you're being amazed as, as it happens, sometimes shit goes wrong. And sometimes it goes wrong in a big way and you don't see it until either it crashes the story halfway through and you have a dead book, which is what happened to me, or until you get to the end and you look at this person who showed up partway through and shifted things, and that's happened to me too, and you have to go through and clean that person out and get your story back where you wanted it to go. I think characters with their own mind have uh, kind of that's that's more of a universal kind of experience for a lot of writers. It's not everybody. Everybody doesn't go through this, but it's something that is very, very common and something that is talked about quite a bit. So, yeah. And and the thing is, sometimes it works great. In fact, even maybe maybe 60, 70 percent of the time. It works great. And you are sitting there watching the story unfolding in front of you. And you are almost like the audience as your fingers are writing on the screen and the words are scrolling up in front of you. And they're saying things and you're laughing because they said it. It was not like you thought it. It's just like they said it. And, you know, when that happens, it's called writing in flow. And when it happens, it's awesome most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, the, the problem is because it works out so well some of the time, you're kind of a sucker to when uh-huh. somebody comes in and manipulates the story. Uh-huh. What is the next point? Okay, so the third part of this, is this going to engage the reader? Okay, so now you've cleaned out your bad characters. You have you you know that you're writing in the right genre. You've cleaned out the bad characters. So now you're looking at this from the perspective of the reader and you are saying okay if if this were brand new to me if I had if this were the first book by this author I had ever picked up would I keep reading and first story first anything because 
the the scary part of writing fiction is that you have absolutely no control over which story somebody picks up by you first. No control. So if you have something out there that is absolute crap with your name on it, and that's the first three thing that somebody reads by you, that will be the last thing they read with your name on it. Because people get burned and they remember who burned them. They, they might not remember your name if it was awesome. They might have to look you up on their Kindle or whatever to find out who you were the next time they want to read something good. Because for some reason or other, it's easy to forget the, the names of authors of books you like. But somebody who burned you and you spend, spend a buck or $2 or $4.99 on that, something they wrote and it sucks, yeah, they're not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. People tend so, to remember things that are negative over things that are positive. Yeah. So this is where you go into the revision deep and you say, is this the best story I am capable of telling? And you ask it on every damn page because it matters. It matters to you that the person who trusts you enough to pay for something that you wrote doesn't get burned. That they, now you can't, you can't prevent people from finding the wrong book you that's you know you can do your best by with keywords and 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 good descriptions and cover art that fits your genre you can do the best you can but there are going to be some people who pick up the book and it's just not for them you are always going to get some people who hate it just because it wasn't what they were expecting even if it's good but you got to make sure it's good (laughs) yeah and it's not you don't have to go back and revise and constantly update your books to make them better and just focus on every single book that you're writing at the moment make sure it's the best you're capable of writing at that moment and put it out and then move on to the next one yeah yeah that's i my first novel um hunting the corrigans no my first novel was fire in the mist my first novel was a pretty good book at the time. Um, the second and third ones were s- sophomore efforts. They were not as good, but the first one was pretty good. I look at it now and I think, man, I could do that so much better. But I don't because, A, it was my first book, and, B, I can do the stories that I can tell now, stories that I wasn't a an experienced enough writer to be telling back then. Mm-hmm. And that one can sit there and be what it is and it's good enough that for the most part it's not going to chase off readers who like my work um you know it's got it's got a kid who went missing in the middle um it's in, got, in the beginning basically yeah yeah um, I mean, this, this, we've we've gone over the issues that, that yeah. you have with fire in the mist but the the whole idea is just that you do your best work every time you do work and right. you put out your best work every time you can. And don't get stuck in the whole, I need to make this better thing. I need to revise this. Because you'll never... Right. It, you you got to put out as many stories as you possibly can. And the more you write, the more stories are begging to be told. And there's a uh, song by Halsey that I love. So it's it's called Control. It's by Halsey. And... It says, I'm well acquainted with villains that live in my head. They beg me to write them so they'll never die when I'm dead. And I've grown familiar with villains that live in my head. They beg me to write them so I'll never die when I'm dead. So, obviously, like, 
<laughs> it's not just about the villains. That that song is about mental health and and stuff. But it's it's so true for us as writers because we have stories, you know, yeah. that that we have to tell and characters that are begging to to be given life to. And if we focus so much on trying to perfect something, then we basically are never giving the the birth to these characters. We're, we're yes. never telling all of the stories we're capable of telling because we're too focused on trying to be perfect, which is impossible. Right, right. Oh, God, that's huge. So, that That is a, a gigantic point. And, yeah, thank you for saying that because um, the best you can do right now is has to be good enough. And if the first things that you write aren't good enough to publish, that's okay. Just finish them, revise them, say, okay, this is not the thing I want my readers to find first. So I'm just going to sit on this one. Yeah, it takes practice and, just like anything yeah. else. You're not going to pick up a clarinet, take three lessons, and go out and play a concert. Yes, yes. It's my favorite. My favorite for this is brain surgeons. Yeah. You know, nobody ever thinks they're born a brain surgeon. Nobody. You know, they. everybody knows that the path you take to get to becoming a brain surgeon is long and arduous and complicated and painful, and you never get any sleep for about 20 years of your life until you finally are not an intern anymore or, and, and you're there. I don't know why it is that people think that it is easy to write at a professional level and that some people are just born capable of doing that. They aren't. We aren't. I wasn't. It was a long, arduous seven years of grinding. Yeah, and it's it's going to be different for everybody. Some people are naturally more creative than others, and some people are naturally more analytical, and it's just... It, but if this is something you want to do, it is absolutely doable. It's a skill to learn. But yeah. So what is the next point? Okay. Now, when we are now to the ending of the story, looking at the ending, when you read it, do you feel it? Do you get teary-eyed? Do you laugh? Do you, do you have the emotional, you know, you, you're supposed to let this stuff get cold on you first before you go back and read it. So after it sat there for a, a week for a short story, a month for, for, you know, a book, and you go back and read through it, when you hit the ending, do you have the reaction that you want the reader to have? Does it hit you and you say, you laugh your ass off, or you, you have this great little twist, or you cry, like I did with that damn flash fiction <laughs> read yeah where I hadn't read it in years and I forgot what was in it and I got to the ending and I cried that's that's because that was a story that I took out of me and it meant something to me and it still means something to me and that was what I was shooting for for that I just didn't want to do it on air <laughs> yeah it, you, you sometimes it's just this twist like and do you get that thrill when you read the twist because it's yeah. it's also about how well you surprise the reader how well yes. you you sunk the words like you landed the words and everything it's especially when it comes to flash fiction because it's so short that it's hard to make a big big impact but it's not impossible you, right. you don't have an entire novel's worth 
to get let the reader get to know this this character or characters. Yes, at most you have two characters and three scenes. At most. And in that in that period right there you have to move a story. I moved a story through 20 years at one point in 500 words, three char- two characters and three scenes. Um, but it's you have to pick your moments and you have to know what you want to hit at the end and be very clear about it. And then if after you haven't read it and you go back and read it, you don't get that response, that's a problem. That is your brain telling you, okay, we missed this. It's fixable. It's always fixable, but we missed it this time. Let's try again. Yeah, I think Um, a lot of writers underestimate the response that they're supposed to have because a lot of people think, well, I wrote it, so of course I'm not going to have that that moment. But that's not accurate. That really is. it, it, It might just be that you're writing something that does not strike you emotionally you're writing something to sell or, or that is popular or whatever, that that could be the problem is that you're mm-hmm. writing something you think you should be writing. And you're, you're, the emotional impact that, that this gives you is a big indicator that there is something either really right or really wrong. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I have seen a lot of people hurt themselves thinking, well, taking the advice of friends and family about what they should be writing. Um, that, oh my God, you shouldn't be writing the, the, those books as fantasy novels about um, witches and, and magic. And, uh, you know, you. <laughs> this was my mother speaking. Um, you should, in fact, get a job uh, cleaning stables because those are, those are not good books. Those are, you should not write those. Um, there are folks who are, are constantly being told, you shouldn't write genre fiction, you should write literary fiction, um, because literary fiction is important and genre fiction is, is light fluff. It's, it's not. Um, oh, or someone, the opposite, where people are right. saying, like, you're, oh, God, literary fiction is so boring. You know, we should write, like, Dean Koontz, his stuff sells. Yes. Oh, God, yes. That's, the, the thing is, if you're not writing what you personally love, stop it. <laughs> stop now. Find, figure out the thing that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. Think, okay, even, even more important than that, think about the thing that makes you want to get out of bed at 4 o'clock in the morning when you wake up with this stupid idea that you have just got to try because it's so cool. Yeah. And because that's the thing that will feed you. That's the thing that when you get to the end of it, you will have the emotional response. You will, if you, you know, if you focused on your scenes, if you focused on your conflicts, then you will hit your endings and you will write things that matter to you. And that's, and then at the moment when you have that reaction, so will someone else. If you can love it, if you can genuinely, you read it cold and genuinely love it, then so will other people. Yeah. Yeah. It, Writing is is hard enough without writing something that you love, you know, without not loving it, you know. Writing is already so difficult. you got to have that drive to power you through the hard days because there will be very, very many hard days, especially in revision. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, that is so true. And, And it can be such a painful job, and it can be going through something that you screwed up 
and and grinding through to say, well, where was the conflict here? What was I trying for? Because you know that your brain wanted to do something because there were words on the page to prove it. And now you have to look at it and understand, well, I completely missed this. Why did I miss it? How how was I so far off yeah. that I can't even figure out what I wanted to happen in this scene? And I got to tell you, we have all been there. That's what what was the purpose of this scene? I don't even know now what I was doing when I was writing this. Yeah. So that has been our episode on revision. Um, Holly is going to give us a takeaway in a minute, but I just wanted to remind you guys Halloween submissions are open. It is from September 1st to October, well, yes, to October 1st. And again, please, the, the link is in the show notes. Go ahead and take a look at, at all of the requirements. There are two new ones this year, so... We need you to go through, realize what it is that we're looking for, and then submit. So I've already had some submissions, oddly enough. Uh, I have not looked at them, but if they cover any of the things that we have explicitly said, no, you know, do not touch this topic or anything like that, they will be just rejected and, you know, pretty much right away. Then we don't want... You will be able to try again. Yeah. But, yeah. We don't want to reject anybody. We don't like doing it. It's it's not the goal of anybody, uh, you know, with this podcast to, to send rejections to anybody. So please no. do your very best to make sure that the Halloween flash fiction is fitting everything that we are requiring it to. So, yeah, yeah. just um, go to hollyswritingclasses.com. You still have plenty of time to take the three-week course. If you already have an account there, the Flash Fiction course is already in your account. It automatically goes in. So, Holly, what is the takeaway for this episode? It is entirely possible to create a 500-word story or multiple 500-word stories that stick in folks' minds for the rest of their lives. And I'm just going to throw a name in front of you, Aesop's Fables. Those things have passed down, passed through, through history, those were just little tiny stories. Most of them weren't even a whole 500 words. And those stories changed people's lives. It is entirely possible to move people, to matter to them as a writer, and to give them something they need when they need it. When you are writing a tiny little story, when you are writing something something that someone can just read in a couple of minutes and sit there and go, holy crap. I didn't, I never thought about that. To do this, you have to make sure that you are writing for yourself, that you are being honest to yourself, that you are telling the story that you love more than you wanted anything else in the world right now. That story is the thing you want to be writing. And that once you've revised it, it moves you the way it will, you hope it will move your reader. And if you can do that, if you can write it for yourself, revise it for yourself, and then read it fresh for your reader and get the impact from it that you want some stranger you may never meet to have. You win. Yeah. Awesome. And and it's true. You, you don't, you can read a book and it have a meh impact and you can read a short story from a 
or a poem, you know, or but yeah. a short story and it have the impact that lasts forever. That I know it's not the same thing, but Walt Whitman's uh, Oh Captain, My Captain, when I was 11 or something. or Yeah. To yeah. 12, Invictus for me. It, yeah. it, it really had this, this huge emotional impact and it was a, at the time I was learning history from school and school is boring and horrible when it comes to history <laughs> and yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't have the impact that it should because history is amazing. But that, that poem was able to connect with me, a kid who was bored by history because of the way it's taught in public schools and I was able to have this gigantic, huge emotional impact from that that poem. Yeah. And the writer, you know, long dead. Right. It's just amazing. Yes. So don't think that short stories are trivial. Don't think that ultra short flash fiction stories are trivial. Pour your soul into them and write the things that you want to see in the world and get them out there and send them to us. <laughs> Please, yes, do. Yeah, because it would thrill us to be able to perform every single story that we receive. Yeah. So that has been our episode on re help with revision. I hope this, that this has helped. I know we were um, kind of all over the place as far as what we were focusing on, like the revision length that we were focusing on, but all of the yeah. points still stand. I hope that this has helped. If you have any questions, go into help with revision thread in the podcast forums at hollyswritingclasses.com. And, you know, there's tons of writers on there and a lot of them have taken the flash fiction course and we'll, we're all there to help. So yes. we love you guys and we will see you next week, Holly. Yeah. Um, you can be as amazing as you choose to be.